0: If you guys would, please turn to Philippians chapter 2 as we continue our journey on the perseverance of the saints. Like I said, many times we think about perseverance from just the perspective of making it through. But God perseveres us not only in, the, in his return and being with him, he, we persevere every day the, in his faithfulness to his people. Um, he brings us through. And so today we're going to be dealing with the issue of the mind of Christ, Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through 11. Um, I think a lot of times we read verse 1 through 11 and we kind of take what's being said here in a very, um, we miss we the picture, I think. Um, so I'm hoping as we go through this, it'll clarify a little bit more about his faithfulness and Uh, And you see Christ from a little bit, from a much more um, holy perspective uh, is the term I want to think about. So principle number one, principle number one, um, to be in spirit and in one mind, we must have the mind of Christ. So let's pray. Father, I want to thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for the truth. Help us, Lord, as we go through Philippians 2, 1 through 11, that we see you. And we understand you and your character and the truth of this passage for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. To be one in spirit and, in, and one in mind, we must have the mind of Christ. You can't be in unity with each other. and You can't be in one mind uh, with one another unless, unless we have the mind of Christ. You must understand Christ's mind. You must understand him. Encouragement, comfort, fellowship, affection, and sympathy, sympathy must come from being united and having the mind of Christ. Okay? Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, make my joy complete or make my joy complete. Complete my joy by being of, one, of, of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. That's what the ESV says here. Interesting enough, uh, in order for us to kind of grasp what, Paul, what Paul's saying here to the Church of Philippi, we got to go back a little bit. So I want you to go to chapter 1. Now I want you to hear see if you hear the same idea of what he's going to be clarifying in chapter 2. In verse 27. Chapter 1 verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destru- uh, destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that, I, that, you, that you saw I had, and now here that I still have. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do you see why he would continue this conversation? He's really just repeating again, verse 27, that if we are living in a life that is in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ... When he comes, he wants to make sure that they are in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So if there is any encouragement in Christ and any comfort from love and any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy for our suffering, then complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do you see the you see the thought here? A lot of times we read chapter two and we think it's got this own little thought. No, he's just carrying on a thought that he's saying. He's saying if we're going to suffer, let us do it with joy. Let us, let us have the attitude that Christ had, and he clarifies this in verse in verses um, five, all the way to the end of, of all the way down to eleven. So I want you to hear something here. This whole idea of being of one mind and being united comes from the same attitude by which Christ had when he was one in oneness with the Father in heaven. That's what he's implying here. I want you to kind of see this. It doesn't mean that Christ stopped being one with the Father and one with the Spirit. He did not stop being one with the Father and one with the Spirit. I and the Father are one. That's what Jesus said. But it's this idea that he was willing to do something in order for him to bring to us what we needed. Desperately needed. Now, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, comfort, participation, affection, and sympathy, he says, complete my joy by being of the same mind. This word mind is the word understanding. That's what this word mind is. This word mind is actually used several times in a couple verses. So, this, so he's saying, make my joy by, by, um, complete by being of the same understanding, having the same understanding of Christ. How can we be united if we don't understand Christ, if we look at Christ differently because of our denominations, If we look at Christ differently because we're not willing to submit to the full counsel of his word because we think we're right or they're right, then the whole point is there's no way we can be united in the spirit of God. Because we're not united for the purpose of Christ, we're united for our own ideologies. So we have to be united in Christ, understanding his word is the final authority in all things. Now, that's the first thing. First first word is the mind There means understanding. Having the same love. This word love is agape. And it literally just means brotherly love. Isn't that interesting? It's not gapeo. This is agape. Love for the brotherhood. Love for the brothers of the faith. Brothers and sisters of the faith. So I want you to see this. Complete my joy by being of the same understanding, having brotherly love, and then he says, being in full accord and of one mind. Now what's interesting, if you're in accord with something and you're of one mind with something, it means you're in harmony. So this word mind here is to be harmonious. to be harmonious. Very important to understand this because in the ESV, it uses two, two words here that literally mean to be harmonious. According, being in full accord and one mind. Have we ever thought about what it means to be harmonious, to be in harmony with, my, with, with Christ and with his word and with myself? That I'm in full accord with him, that I'm in one mind with him. Why ESV um, translators chose to use f- full accord and of one mind, makes I don't understand, because the translation literally means harmonious. But it makes sense when you think about the word harmonious here that if I'm going to have the same understanding as Paul concerning Christ, if I'm going to have the same brotherly love as Christ has for us, then I'm going to be in harmony with him and his people. Makes sense. Principle number two, the mind of Christ is to live selfless and humble, to please God and to love him supremely. There's a term out here, uh, out there in the world that John Piper coined called Christian hedonism. Hedonism. Hedonism means that everything that pleases me, makes me happy, I will do. Christian hedonism is this idea that I will find my full pleasure and desires in Him. Ever thought about Christian hedonism? Everybody's a hedonist. We all love something dearly. Christian hedonism is loving God supremely. Christian hedonism, biblical, here we go. Love God with all your heart and obey Him in everything. Or, He is your true pleasure and joy in all things you desire to please Him. Or, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him, John Piper. Or, Only be very careful to observe the command, the commandment, and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord commanded you, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to keep his commandments, and to cling to him, and to serve him with all of your heart and with all of your soul, Joshua twenty two five. And as he said, as he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, Jesus, Matthew 22, 37 through 39. So Christian hedonism is a biblical truth. How many times have we really thought about that? Well, that's what we end up reading in Philippians chapter 2, verse 34, this idea of Christian hedonism, that I'm not living to please myself, but I'm living to please him. That my full pleasure, my full joy, everything that I have in my entire being is to love him supremely. And and it's seen in in what Paul says here in verses 3 through 4, which is the opposite of that. Look what he says. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. In other words, it's not about you. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. There it is, Christian hedonism in practice. Have we ever thought about that? So when you think about your life, how much of you are you willing to sacrifice? Are you really willing to be a, a hedonist when it comes to Christ? Is he your full pleasure and everything you need and desire? Nothing else matters in life. We live for him and him alone. Not for our temporary pleasures, and God, in His goodness and faithfulness, reaches down because He loves us and does for us. Christian hedonism—what what an amazing thought! God is most glorified—we are. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. I love that term, the John Piper states. Third principle: to love God supremely, you must have. The mind of Christ. You cannot love God like Jesus loves the Father unless you have the mind of Jesus. Romans 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. A lot of times we think about having this mind, that this renewing of the mind is something that I actually... um, that actually I do on my own. It's this transform, transformation in Christ. Be, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Transformation can only come by Christ, and re- renewal can only come from Christ. Now, how do we prove this out? Philippians chapter 2, verse 5-7. through seven. Have this mind... Among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. <sniffs> have you ever thought about that? I was like, how do I have the mind of Christ? You already have it, it's yours. I mean, if it's, think about that. How can I how do I learn to live this Christian life? You already have it. It's in Jesus. Well, I don't know if I want to, I don't know if I want to go that direction. I, I I think my ways are a little bit easier. I think I got I, I got this figured out. How many of you guys can say you've got this thing figured out? I don't think any of us got this thing figured out. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. This verse; these verses are so distorted in many teachings. Um, for a lot of us, it's frustrating. It's frustrating. Because right? many of us have read this and go, see, uh, Jesus emptied himself. It's not the word. I don't know if there's a good translation there in the English. It could have just actually said it the way it should have been said. Because Jesus did not empty himself of anything. You're like, but that's not what, he, that's not what it says. Remember, it's English. English kind of messes up everything sometimes. So let's look what it says here. Have this mind, cherish the same views, or strive for. In other words, when we are cherishing the same views as Christ, if we're striving to have the mind of Christ, which it, which is among yourselves, which we have in Christ, that kind of makes makes a little bit more sense. So it says, cherish the views of Christ. Strive for the mind of Christ among yourselves. Are you striving to have the mind of Christ among yourselves? How much of Christ do you want to be like? How much of of you does Christ have? And people go, well, I'll give him my heart. But does he have your mind? Because he can't have your heart if he doesn't have your mind. People take, we take the opposite. He has my heart, but he doesn't have your thoughts. But he has my heart. He doesn't have your actions. He has my heart, but he has my love. But I, how much do you think about the person you love? Now, for some of you who probably sit next to the person that you love the most, I remember when I met my wife, I couldn't stop thinking about her. It's like, why are you always on my mind? you always on my mind, you know. Well, that's what it means that we that our minds are fully on God all the time. I, I think about him as like I, I think about him all night. Just, I, went, I woke up at four thirty this morning. I'm like, why can't I sleep? He's on my mind. You're on my mind. So strive for the mind of Christ, which is yours. You, it's yours. You already have it. The mind of Christ is there for you. Not only does he live in you, in the person of the Holy Spirit, it's written for you. You want the mind of Christ? It's right here. I just dropped something. It's all right. Okay? Now, let's keep reading here. Look what it says here. Who, though he was in the form of God. This word, it means that he existed as God. He always was God, always was God, always will be God. That's what this literally means. Now think about that. Not that he was in the form of God, but that he actually exists and existed as God. He always was existing. That's what this means. So if we are striving for the mind of Christ, which is ours in Christ Jesus, and we can have it, Then Jesus, who has always existed as God, did not deem anything a prize or anything to be held fast to or to retain in quality and in quantity. In other words, his godness was not something that he demanded that he retain full, total, uttered. Unrestricted power. No. He covered that in the skin, in the body. Now I want you to think about this. This word, to be grasped, or um, to, not, not, to be, not to count equality with God, something to be grasped, that term there literally means to deem anything a prize, to be held fast to or retained, in quantity or quality. In other words, it's, it's not something he demanded. Nah, if I'm going to do this, I'm, I need all of it. No, what it, what it means is he willingly veiled it. He veiled it. If you have any questions about that, read the Gospels. How in the world could a God who is omniscient when scripture says that Jesus knew what was in them and in their heart, why would we think that that's not a God character? If he emptied himself of these things, how could he know what's in man's heart? If he says, I'm the resurrection and the life, and he raises a man from the dead, then how in the world, if he is the power of the resurrection, the resurrection himself, if he emptied himself of it, how in the world did he do it? It's an oxymoron. It makes no sense. Of course he veiled it. He used it when it was necessary and used it to the quantity and quality that was necessary. Trust me. If if God was to be here in his full, unadulterated power, we would not be existing. He even veils himself now. The only reason why the earth is not destroyed is because he's choosing not to destroy it. We always try to make Jesus more human than he is divine. When he is fully divine and fully human. Well, now he's fully divine in a resurrected body, which is kind of amazing. We'll get on that another day. This word emptied. This word emptied means to cause a thing to be seen, to, to be seen, to be empty. That's literally what this word emptied means. It's to make it look like it's empty, but it's not. Doesn't that make more sense now? Because that's literally what the word means. Look it up in your BLB. I'm not going to give you all the Greek words today. It's too many. Literally, translation calls a thing to be seen, to be seen, to be empty. It's not empty, but it looks like it is. So he calls himself to be seen as empty. By taking on the form of a slave. Dulos. It's the one I gave you. Why do I use this word dulos? The slave term. Um, some translations have bondservant. No. It's not what it means here. He was a slave. The lowest of the low. You cannot get more low than what Jesus brought himself down to be. A slave. A slave to the Father. A slave for our sake. He even slaved over his own disciples. I'm going to wash your feet. No, you shouldn't wash my feet. Wash my whole body. Yeah, I don't have enough water for you, buddy. Right? I mean, kind of nice that Peter would say, don't wash everything. But the point is, is, Jesus became a slave even to his servants. Even to the slaves. And he was born, being born in the likeness of man. He was born in looking like a sinful people. Now, do you see? You grab the concept of the mind of Christ here. Why? Why Paul uses these terms that we should have, we should strive for and cherish the same views as Christ. We should. We should. We should not consider ourselves more highly not think of ourselves more highly of th- than we ought to think. No, He was God. And yet, even though he existed as God, he didn't deem it as a thing to hold on to, to a prize that he must, that he must contend for. But he caused himself to be seen as empty. So you didn't really see the divinity of Christ if you were to just watch him walk by you. What you would see in the divinity of Christ is the work of Christ. Jesus says, judge me by my works. You've seen what I've done. You've seen the divinity. And they still rejected him. Isn't that amazing? Here we go. Fourth principle. The The mind of Christ requires a heart of sacrifice. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Isn't that interesting? One of the the most important Bible verses that you can use to clarify and understand um, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 11, is Romans 1 and 2. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Romans 12, 1 and 2. So the first part you see here is the sacrifice, the mind of Christ, having, having this understanding that I must die to myself. I must be transformed and changed. And my transformation and change by the renewing of my, my mind is to have the mind of Jesus, is to strive for those things. And if I have the mind of Christ, then my heart should be sacrificed. I should sacrifice everything that I have. Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. If God of all creation put on flesh to die, how much more should you die? Not for me, but for him. How much are you willing to sacrifice on the altar as a living sacrifice every day that you're that you're literally alive and walking and well, what are you willing to give, surrender for Christ? If he gave us his all, how much more should you give? That's the point. That's what he's saying here. So I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. If Christ did it, why aren't you? I mean it's pretty simple. What's the scripture say? We must deny ourselves, take up a cross daily and follow him. Last principle. God the Father exalts the Son because of his mind, because of this reality. Because of them, because of his mind, because of the mind of Christ. Because of his attitude, because of his commitment, because of what he was, what, what his, where his heart was, because of everything he is. His commitment to honoring the Father. Christ's commitment to honor the Father and to do the Father's will brings glory to the Godhead. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Guess what? Even though we have the mind of Christ, even though we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, even though we are being transformed by the renewing of our mind and committed to walking in the mind of Christ, there is only one thing There's only one person, let me say it this way, that deserves this kind of exaltation, and it's not you. It's it's him. Only one receives this honor. And God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Yahshua, every knee should bow. Trust me, every knee will bow. Every knee. Single person. And that day will come hopefully soon. So, God, Christ has given us an example. If you want to have the mind of Christ, strive for it, strive to know it. Let me say it that way. We have it, it's yours. Strive, work out your salvation. Don't hold on to anything that you would consider as a prize. But in the same way, surrender your entire life to him. And be a slave as he was. That's the mind of Christ. So I want to leave you with this last thing. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Be harmonious. Commit your ways to Him. Lord, we thank you and praise you for your faithfulness and goodness. Thank you for our time together. Lord, as we sing this last song for your honor and glory. I pray that we really reflect on the realities and the truths of having your mind, and that we walk in the newness of life for your glory, Jesus name.